If you brought your Bible, and we hope you did, open to Genesis chapter 35 or find it on your device, as long as your device is silenced. <laughs> find it on your device, find it in your Bible, Genesis chapter 35. These, uh, these two chapters are important for us to walk through. I know enough by now not to promise that we're going to get through two chapters. <laughs> That is, again, our goal, but th there are so many important lessons for us, and, and Lord willing, we'll finish them because we will finish the eight, you remember we've been talking about there are ten toledotes, ten generations of in Genesis. We're going to finish the eighth one and start and finish, Lord willing, the ninth one this morning, so then after Christmas, we can just pick up with the final tenth generations of in Genesis. Uh, let's look at chapter 35 first. We'll read it together, study and then read through chapter 36, Lord willing again. Genesis 35, beginning in verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar to, there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paran Aram and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I give to, gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up an altar, a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is a pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, 
Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we have uh, your word so clearly given to us, Lord, and so freely given to us, preserved through ages, Lord, and, and translated into our language. We praise you and we thank you. God, we pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and minds through your word to encourage and challenge us in love and worship for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'll recall from last week, Pastor Kyle led us through chapter 34, and we saw a stumbling Jacob. We saw a Jacob who had really lost his way. He, he had come to the land of Canaan, as God told him to come back to, but he had fallen short of his promise to the Lord that he would come back to his father's house. He hasn't yet made it back to his father's house. He said, God, you will be my God if you provide and you protect, and I come back to my father's house. So, so God said, get going. <laughs> Let, let's follow through with this. It's not wrong to promise to God something, but it's wrong to promise God something and then not follow through with it. So we're going to find Jacob here at a, at a, a bit of a low point spiritually. We've seen him low and high. We, we, we've seen him, and we can relate in many ways in our own spiritual walk, our lives. Uh, right now, Jacob's low. He's messed up. He's sinned. Uh, we mess up. We fall down. We sin, sometimes even intentionally, don't we? We know better, but we do things anyway that we know we shouldn't do. We sin against others, we sin against God, sometimes accidentally, sometimes intentionally. But what do we do about it? This is the sticking point, right? Because there was only one man, the man that we celebrate this time of year, particularly his birth, Jesus Christ, the only man who ever lived without sinning one time. The rest of us are going to sin. We have sinned. We do sin, we're, we're going to sin, so, so it's not whether we're all going to try to figure out somehow to be perfect, but what do I do when I mess up? We think the answer often is the things that we tell ourselves, like, well, oh, it's just too late, I've ruined everything, I might as well just give up. Uh, I'll do better next time, you know, I just won't make the same mistakes. Does that always work? It never works, does it? <laughs> just to tell ourselves uh, those kinds of things. Well, it just wasn't that bad. Or look at all the things that other people are doing. You know, I'm, I'm not that bad. <laughs> look at my friends. I mean, I'm doing better than they are. And I got pretty good friends, and I'm doing better than them. So God, you know, there's this sliding scale, right? And we, we try to make ourselves better, feel better, because we're doing better than others. But we try, and we fail. And then we try, and we fail again. And we just keep on going through that cycle. And we, eventually, maybe some of us start to think, you know what, this just isn't working for me. It's working for the people around me. It's working for other people at church, but it just doesn't work for me. Maybe I should just give up on it. Or maybe if that hasn't happened to you, maybe you've noticed times in your life where you just feel distant from the Lord. How many of you, is that true of you? You don't have to raise your hand, but just think about how many of you is this true for you, particularly at this time of year? When there's so much going on and there's so many people that seem to be joyful and so much happening, you get so busy, but, uh, you know, I just 
at this time of year, maybe you feel even more distant from God. What do we do about all of these things? How, How can we come close to the Lord again? How can we return to this great God fellowship with him? With, with a closeness and a, and a relationship with God. Well, there are seven parts to chapter 35 of Genesis where I believe that Jacob is blazing this path to show us and modeling how to get back into fellowship with the Lord. How, how do we be, become right with God again as believers? You say, did you say seven parts? <laughs> You know, why can't there just be three or, or give me the two most necessary or just give me the one thing I can do in 10 minutes, right? And then I can just be right again and we can move on. But see, that's just, it's, it's not uh, recognizing the, the invasive and destructive nature of sin in our minds and our hearts. It's going to be these seven parts to help us to come back closer with the Lord. It's not because God's making it harder on us because it's not God's fault. It's going to be what we've done. We're going to recognize it. We're going to see it. And Lord willing, this is going to be encouraging for us. Let's look at the first one that we're going to see in verse 1. Remember who the Lord is. Remember who the Lord is. When we're straying away from the Lord God, we need to remember who this God is. God said to Jacob in verse 1, go to Bethel and make an altar to just any old God you feel like. Is that what he said? (laughs) The, The God who appeared to you. Remember that God had appeared to Jacob in, in chapter 28, revealed himself to him. Remember what Jacob learned about God? That he's eternal. He is the forever God. He's, he's the present everywhere, omnipresent God. Uh, he's the all-powerful, self-sustaining creator God who makes and keeps promises. That's how God had revealed himself to Jacob. The God of heaven, the God is to, who is to be feared. That's how God taught Jacob who he is. So God said, go back to that place where I appeared to you. Not because the place is mysterious and magical, because because that's not the point. Go back to where you learned who God is. Remember, relearn who God is. You've gotten off track. You've wandered away. God hasn't gone anywhere, because where is God? Everywhere. God hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't left you behind. You, in your mind, me, and I have done it in my mind where I've found myself far from the Lord in my thoughts, in my heart. Get back to where the Lord is, what he has done. Go to where he appeared to you. That's what God told Jacob. And so we read in Titus chapter 3, the, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. When that happened, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through whom? Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's God. That's who God is. He appeared to us in Jesus Christ, the creator God, sustaining God, sovereign Lord, saved you through Jesus Christ, your Savior. So go back to him where and how he appeared to us in Jesus. Turning, this, is, this is turning our minds toward him. This is, this is about what repentance looks like, right? Instead of wallowing here and what's going on and what's not going on and what's happening and what's not happening, I'm turning my mind to the Lord God. I'm remembering who he is. 1 John 3 tells us the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason that Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And in that same work, verse, the works of the devil, 
our sins. He's just been sinning from the beginning. That's what he does. So the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy his works. And Jesus, brothers and sisters, is always successful in that mission. He's always successful in that. So go back to where Jesus is in remembrance, in, in thinking about him, in learning more about him. Romans 5 tells us, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think of it. Think of all that God has done when he appeared in Jesus, when Jesus appeared. Go back to the wonder and the awe of God. If you're straying far from God, you feel distant from God, Start with him. Start with who he is. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Second part, in verse one also. This will be helpful, but it may not be fun. Recall what you were. Recall what you were. Just the last seven words in English of verse one must have brought a rush of memories back to Jacob. God said, when you fled from your brother Esau, and (laughs) it all comes back. Oh, Over 20 years ago, the kind of person I was, the things that I did, the things that I said, how deceitful and selfish and manipulative, the things that I deserved, that all comes flooding back to Jacob's mind. It was when we were sinners, brothers and sisters, that Christ died for us. Remember what we were? Because sin brings death, Romans 5 and James 1 says. So here's what Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, why would he say all of that? Because of verse 11, and such were some of you. That was you, and that was me in that list. He's not saying because all those people out there, they're not going to heaven. You weren't going to heaven. I wasn't going to heaven. None of us were going to inherit the kingdom of God because that's what we were. But then he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. He he lists all of those terrible things because that's what we need to remember. That's what we were. That's what we would still be except for God's grace in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We were following the devil himself. We were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. So that's why he says just a few verses later, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, made by flesh in the hands, he says, remember that at that time, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He says, you you need to remember that. Remember who you are without Christ, before Christ, what you were like, but now you've been brought near. 
Remember what God is, who God is, what he's done. Remember what you were. That, really remembering those two things, starting there, just produces a reality reset in our mind. (laughs) Oh, the goodness and the greatness and the amazingness of this awesome God. And how terrible I would have been, but praise God because of his grace in my life. Just starting with those two is helping us on this road to return to the Lord. Number three, in verses two and three, reveal God to others. Reveal God to others. If we want to feel that closeness with God again, why don't we start telling other people about him? (laughs) In, In verse two, Jacob speaks to the entire group of people who are with him. He says to them, put away all the idols, purify yourselves, change your clothes inside and outside, be different. That's what he's saying. Why? Because we're going to Bethel to make an altar to the God who, number one, answers me in the day of my distress, and number two, has been with me wherever I've gone. What's he doing? He's testifying about God. He's telling these people who are with him, his whole family and all of the other group of people with him, you need to know who this true God is, and I'm going to tell you about him. I'm going to testify to this, about this God to you. But not just that I will, not just that I should, I must this is what, this is, we must reveal Jesus to those people around us. Do you remember the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah? He was persecuted. He was mocked. He was ridiculed for preaching repentance. He said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to say anything more. I'm not going to tell anybody anymore. And Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9 says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. He said, I can't. I can't even hold it in. I'm trying not to tell people. I must speak God's word. That's you and me, brother and sister. Peter and John, when they were arrested and they were threatened, stop preaching the gospel. Knock that off. Talk about anything else. <laughs> in Acts chapter 4, we're familiar with the first part, especially after covid because, because Peter and, and John say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, right? We're, we're familiar with that first part. Get them, Peter and John, tell them, you know, we're going to listen to God, not the government, you know, rah, rah. Okay. We're familiar with that part. The rest of the sentence, though, they said, because, for, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We're going to tell everybody about Jesus, whether you make it impossible for us to do it without being martyred or, or tortured or prisoned or not. They, they couldn't talk about anything other than Jesus. They didn't say, okay, look, here's a list of 12 different things we could choose from that are good. Let's pick this one good thing. No, they said there's nothing else. There's nothing else as good. There's nothing else as necessary as telling other people about Jesus Christ. And it's not, so it's not wrong, brother and sister, to talk about politics or weather or COVID or uh, the triple-demic or, you know, whatever else is happening, but it, we must be, we have to be talking about Jesus to those around us. Remember that Paul was an apostle. He was a missionary apostle. He knew the Lord. He saw Jesus after his resurrection You know what he says? He says, pray for me in Ephesians 6. Pray for me. Why would we pray for you, Paul? So that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You say, yeah, he was a missionary. He was an apostle. (laughs) This man was, was tortured. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. 
and he's asking for boldness to proclaim the gospel, how much more do I need to be prayed for? How much more do you need to be prayed for? How much more should we be focusing on boldness and the words to say to tell people about Jesus Christ? If Paul needed that, how much more do I? This is part of how we return to the Lord. He matters to me. What he's done for me is amazing. So he matters so much to me, I need to tell you about him because he needs to matter to you. You need to learn, you need to know. So I'm going to tell you about him in season and out of season. Christmas season, Halloween season, Reformation Day, Easter, Resurrection Day. (laughs) On the third Tuesday after a major holiday in the afternoon. (laughs) For any reason and no reason, I need to be telling people about Jesus. That's number three. Let's look at number four. In verse four, he tells them, remove all idols. That's what we need to be doing. Remove all of our idols. Verse four says he took away all of them and he hid them under a tree. Now, where did they come from? Well, we know that in chapter 31, Rachel took some idols from her father's house and she had hidden them from him. They may have added more idols and false gods in Shechem, but all of them are buried now under a tree. Now, why did he do that? Well, I believe it was a picture of death for these idols. They're all dead. You know, we've put these idols, these gods, we've killed them. We've put them to death. (laughs) And we've buried them under a tree. What are they going to do when Deborah dies? She's going to be buried under a tree. This is a picture of they are dead and gone to us. We have put them to death. They needed to purify themselves inside and outside, Jacob included. Because he didn't say, hey, family, if you have any gods, if you have any idols, then get rid of them. He says, I know you have them. Put them all away. Let's get rid of them all. This really is a confession. This is a confession of idolatry, a confession of sin that Jacob's leading his family in. Look, we've got these idols. Now let's get rid of them. And then the action of actually getting rid of them. They had, you know, you think about his sons. Two of his sons had just gone and slaughtered, massacred an entire village because of the sin of one man in that village. And then his other sons had gone in and plundered everyone. It was, it was anger, it was revenge, it was cruelty. It was a whole lot of sin and idolatry in their minds and our hearts. Jacob says, let's get rid of it all. Let us kill the sin in ourselves. Let's not kill any more sinners. <laughs> That's the kind of extreme action we're going to have to take if we're going to be coming back, returning to the Lord. If we're going to come back to the Lord, we can't bring things with us. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In these two you once walked, he said, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Get rid of all of it. Idolatry is a sin that happens way too often in our hearts and minds. We don't even realize it or recognize it so often. Recognize it. Put them all away. You remember in 1 John, we studied the, the whole letter of 1 John, and, and he told him right at the end, we are in the true God. We have the true God, Jesus Christ, his son, the truth, and the only living God. The last words that he ends that letter with are, little children, keep yourselves from idols. The last words that just ring in their minds because we cannot come to God. We cannot return to him and keep our idols. We don't get both because Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God is a jealous God. 
None of these gods or idols can do what God says, God does, God is. So remove all idols. Number five, verses five through eight. Recognize God's protection and provision. In your life, recognize God's protection and provision. Jacob's sons in chapter 34 essentially had just provoked every city, state, and people group around the area of Shechem that was allied with Shechem. Come get us, because we've just slaughtered the whole city. You come after us. But God sent a terror on them, so they did not pursue. God protected them. Do you realize, brother, sister, every day of your life how God has protected you? How he has provided for you? And this, this aspect of, this, of, of, of a Christian life is so necessary to staying with the Lord, to abiding in him, to returning to him when we've gone astray. This is the chocolate in chocolate chips. <laughs> what else is there in a chocolate chip? Nothing. <laughs> this is it. The, the recognition of God, the, the thankfulness for who he is, for what he's been doing for every second. When that goes out the window, when you don't thank God for every breath, every bite of your meal, for every safe trip in the car, every morning, noon, and night, sin is going to be there. When we get away from thankfulness, we, we've already turned away from the Lord. We've already got someone else or something else in our mind. More sin is sure to follow. Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what, if you're going to have clothes. <laughs> and in our culture, in our, in our society today, we're not worried about whether we're going to have enough food or have enough clothes. We're worried about what kind of clothes. <laughs> is it going to have the right label on it? Is it going to be stylish enough? Is it going to be good enough food? That's all included, by the way. He says, don't get anxious about that stuff. Don't get anxious about food and clothing or about how long you're going to live. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows you need all of that. Instead, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a promise from God. Not the designer clothes necessarily, not the fine food that we are so hungering after, but everything that we need. It's a promise from God. When we're seeking him and his righteousness, his kingdom first, those other things are going to be added to us. And that's a promise. God's not going to let us starve. He's not going to let us go naked. He's not going to let us die before it's time until all of that, until he says, now it's time to come home. So if we do start running out of clothing, if we do start running out of food, then we need to be, as those things decrease, our joy increases because we're heading home. 1 Timothy 6 says, godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So we live in recognition of God's provision and his protection. Rather than thinking, I've gotten all this, I've accomplished all this, God's given every single thing I have to me. God, the reason I'm still here and still alive and able to do this is because of God. In verse 7, Jacob calls the place El Bethel. Why does he do that? He already called it Bethel. But this is that strong acknowledgement. He begins with El, mighty one, mighty God. Mighty God, house of mighty God. <laughs> this is the, the true God. He's not just Israel's God, but the all-powerful God who protected him, and he's recognizing God's protection during his life. But then in verse 8, Deborah dies. Well, who is she? His mother's nurse. And, and we'd seen that Jacob probably never saw his mother again after he left over 20 years ago. But he's been reunited with, 
her nurse, probably someone who had a big part of his life growing up as a little boy, she was there by God's provision. She probably comforted him, but she died, and he buried her under the, the oak of weeping. And so there's, there's sorrow, and there's difficulty, there's sadness, there's death, but there's still a commitment to God. He stayed there because God's going to appear to him again in verse 9. So even in difficulty, and I need to say especially in difficulty, we return to the Lord. We come crawling back to the Lord. We acknowledge him and we recognize his protection, his provision, and we grow in thankfulness. This is changing our hearts and we're, we're returning to the Lord. Number six, verses nine through 15, recommit to worshiping him. Recommit yourself to worshiping him. God comes to Jacob, reminds him not only who he is, who God is, he reminds him who he is, who Jacob is. Remember, it was back in chapter 33, God already renamed Jacob Israel, but Jacob's been living like Jacob. <laughs> not Israel. God says, your name is Israel. Your, your, your name, your identity has been changed by me. Who is this me? El Shaddai, God Almighty. The Almighty God has changed your name, changed your identity, everything about you from inside to outside. He, he tells you all that you are, and then he gives you the blessing commands of be fruitful and multiply, and nations will come and kings will come. And he passes the covenant on to Jacob from Abraham to Isaac, now to Jacob. God does all of those things in his mighty power. So then in, in verse 14, Jacob sets up another time a pillar of stone. He pours out the drink offering. He pours oil on it. He's recommitting himself to worshiping this Lord, and he calls the place again Bethel house of God. He says, I'm going to obey God's commands rather than my own ideas. As we seek to return to the Lord, brothers and sisters, family of God, we've got to recommit ourselves to worshiping him in love. We pledge our love and our worship to him. We, we surrender anew to him, the almighty God, his word, his commands, what he tells us. That's how Jesus led Peter back. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times when he was dying. Jesus is resurrected back and he's come to Peter and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter each time was recommitting his love back to the Lord in John 21. It's how Jesus counsels the seven churches in Revelation chapters two and three to the first church in Ephesus. They had abandoned the love they had at first. Jesus says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember the love you had. Where were you before? Remember that place of love and adoration and worship to God. Repent. Turn your mind back to the Lord and off of yourself and off of this world. Chapter 3, verse 19, he says to the last church, Laodicea, the one that was neither cold nor hot, the lukewarm one, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline, so be zealous and repent. That's what he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's Jesus fellowshipping with us when we open the door to him because we're, we're turning away from ourselves. We're turning to him because he loves us and he's disciplined us. He's gotten our attention. He's leading us back to himself, fellowship with himself. He does that with difficult times. Somebody said, God must love you much to discipline you this much. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so open the door to him, Christian. Recommit your adoration, your love, your worship to him. Number seven, the last one here. Verses 16 to 29, realize blessing through tragedy. 
realize his blessing through all the tragedy, these verses describe the tragedy of Rachel dying while giving birth to Benjamin. Rachel, you'll remember, was Jacob's infatuation. He loved her more than Leah. He preferred her. Be encouraged, brother. Be encouraged, sister. The sinful favoritism that was in Jacob, this God worshiper that was still there. God wasn't okay with that sin, but God still worked with this man, Jacob. He's still going to bear with you and with me. As, as we sin, as we confess it and turn away from it, he's bearing with us. He's loving us. Be encouraged by that. As Rachel passes, she names the boy Ben-Oni. Now, it's, it's unknown whether that's supposed to be positive or negative. It means son of my sorrow or it means son of my strength. Both of them fit. Jacob doesn't want any question, though. He immediately changes his name to Benjamin, son of my right hand. A little bit of culture here. The right hand is the hand of strength, victory, of good fortune. Even in the difficulty and tragedy of death, God has provided a blessing of a 12th son, again, for the culture. That's the number of completeness, of wholeness. And we know that this is intentionally encouraging because Moses says, guys, as we're getting ready to come into the land, you're going to see it. It's still there to this day. That's why he says that, verse 20. God is so good even in the times of trouble. Again, I need to say, especially in the times of trouble. There's all of this change, this movement in the land. His mother's nurse has died. His wife has now died. But in all of the change, God has not changed. He's still the same God. So verses 23 to 26 list the 12 sons. But there's even more trouble because in verse 22, his oldest son by Leah, Reuben, lays with Rachel's maid servant. Now, talk about cruelty. You know, Rachel has just died. Jacob has to be in mourning. But in the middle of that, Reuben sees an opportunity to take something for himself. He takes Bilhah, violates her, challenges his father, asserts himself, saying, I'm going to be in charge of this family. What are you going to do about it? And at this point, we don't read any consequences, but they will come in chapter 49. Despite that awful trouble, Jacob has these 12 sons. He sees God's blessings. In verse 27, he finally returns to his father Isaac, and we don't know how long they got to spend together, but in verse 28, he dies. Yet he and his brother Esau are able to bury him peaceably. When we return to the Lord, brother and sister, we realize his blessings. We can see them again. We, we can recognize them again. Not, not just what's wrong, not just what we don't like. We see that God is real and true and bringing blessing to us. That's how we can, James 1, count it all joy. I wanted to read to us Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. There is nothing that will ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Realize his blessings. Return to the Lord, brother. Return to the Lord, sister. When you find yourself running from him, when you find yourself far from him and, and not in fellowship with him, this is how he leads us back. This is the path we need to follow to get our minds right, to get our hearts right. God hasn't gone anywhere, but this is how he leads us, our mind and heart, back. Well, chapter 36, I just want to read to us just a couple of comments as we read, and we will wrap this up with chapter 36, and we're going to see God's blessing on Esau. Here's, here's uh, what God did. These are the generations, chapter 36, of Esau. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, Aholibama, the daughter of Anna, and the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and Basimath. Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth. 
And Ada bore to Esau Eliphaz. Basimath bore Ruel. And Oholibama bore Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. The problem here is that they don't, the list of wives don't match the earlier list of wives, but everybody's got new names in this chapter. <laughs> Israel does. Edom does. They can have new names also, or they're just new wives. Verse 6, Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, and all his beasts, and all his property that he acquired in the land of Canaan. And he went away into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. God blessed Esau, but not in the land, out of the land. Verse 9, these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Adah, the wife of Esau, Ruel, the son of Basimath, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Timon, Omar, Zipho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Oholibama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, Esau's wife. She bore to Esau, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. Edom is going to be a constant enemy of Israel. So will Amalek, the Amalekites. This is the beginning of where they start, how they started out. Now, verse 15, these are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs Timon, Omar, Zipho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Ada. These are the sons of Ruel, Esau's son, the chiefs Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the chiefs of Ruel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholabama, Esau's wife, the chiefs Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs born of Aholabama, the daughter of Anna, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. Remember, just recognize as we read these names, these are entire lives of people lived under God's blessings. Whether they recognized it or not, it's an entire life. God knew their names, he recorded their names. Even though they didn't matter a lick in the, in the line of Jesus, they mattered to God enough that he was there for them. And he blessed these people. Now, verse 20, these are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land. Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ana, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishon. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Hori and Himam, and Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manahath, Ebal, Shifo, and Onam. These are the sons of Zibion, Aya, and Ana. He is the Anna who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. These are the children of Anna, Dishon, and Aholibama, the daughter of Anna. These are the sons of Dishon, Himdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Tehran. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zavan, and Akan. These are the sons of Dishon, Uz, and Aran. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anna, and Dishon, Ezer, and Dishon. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief in the land of Seir. And I know that a lot of these names mean nothing to us. But again, they mattered to the Lord. They matter. All of us matter. Mobi um, let's go on to verse 40. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau according to their clans and their dwelling places. By their names, the chiefs Timnah, Alva, Jetheth, Oholibama, Elan, Penon, Kenaz, Timon, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Iram. These are the chiefs of Edom. That is Esau, the father of Edom according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. This was important. 
for two reasons. God took all of these people that he blessed and he brought them out of the land because they were blessed by God, but they were not part of the line of the Messiah, Jesus, who was to come. And he took them out and he blessed them anyway. Because if we look at chapter 37, verse 1, here's the point. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. Esau is out, Jacob is in, God's blessings continue. His promises continue. And there's rapid growth and wealth and power for Esau, Edom. They progressed into royalty. But this is how he shook the yoke off of his brother, from, from his brother we read about in chapter 27. This was Esau, the worldly success. He had all the things that people wanted at the time. Jacob is left in the land, and he's got just his family, and he's waiting on the promise of God. Brother and sister, that's what we are. We're waiting on the promises of God. We have his promises. We know they're true. We know they will happen. We're just waiting for the fulfillment of them. And, and, and the rest of the world can, can grow in power. The rest of the world can grow in wealth. And we may never grow in any of that, but we're going to grow in the faith of Jesus Christ, in the promises that he's made us, in the knowledge that he's returning for us. Brother and sister, don't be discouraged waiting on God's promises. They will always happen. Father, we praise you for that. We thank you, God, that you are true. Your word is true. Lord God, thank you for this time of year when we can really celebrate the birth of a virgin, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. God, I pray that we would not just celebrate at Christmas his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. God, that we would do that every day. Father, that we would, we would glorify you. We would praise you, Lord, that we would not be so concerned with how we want things and what we want, but, Lord, that we would be submissive to you. What you want is so much better. It's so much grander, so much more eternal than anything that's here. God, we pray that you would uh, give us a remembrance of who you are, that you'd, you'd re help us to remember what we are without Jesus and what we are now. God, you've changed our identity God, we are different now. Lord, help us to be committed to you to remove all idols. Lord, help us to tell others about this Jesus. God, that we would recommit ourselves, Lord, to worship in our life. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. He was born as one of us and yet without sin. God, what a glory. What a, what a message that is that we believe, that we live, and that we tell others. Lord, I pray that would be true for your glory. In the name of our Christ, our Savior, our Lord Jesus, amen.